Hello, everybody. This is Queer Voices, a home-produced podcast that has grown out of a radio show that's been on the air in Houston, Texas for several decades. This week, Brian Levinka talks with Steve Dubel, an out candidate, about his run for Justice of the Peace in Harris County. I didn't come out to late in life um, at about age 39 after um, having raised three kids, and um, they're all great kids now. And I've been out and proud since then. And uh, it's important to have representation at all levels of government by the gay community. And I look forward to being the first gay justice piece in Harris County history. Then Deborah has a conversation with Kai Shapley, a young, out and proud transgender activist. It started, I was at school. I was in first grade. It was the end of the day, so our teacher said, girls, beat your backpacks. And I got up to go get my backpack. And then this one girl shouted, uh, you're not a girl. Go sit back down and wait for the boys to get their backpack. And then a whole bunch of other kids started chanting, Kai's not a girl, he's a boy. That was like the breaking point. I knew that I had to use my voice from that point on. And Deborah has a conversation with the co-presidents of Pride Houston about overcoming the problems of the past year to put on a Pride parade and festival in Houston this year. Last year was a a long road of hard challenges that we had to overcome with the pandemic and finances and litigation and things of that nature. But um, this year, we're just happy to be back, rebuilding with a stronger foundation. We have LGBT music by Levi Kreis, and we have news wrap from This Way Out. Queer Voices starts now. This is Brian Levinka, and today on Queer Voices, we're speaking with Steve Dubel, who's running for Justice of the Peace of Harris County. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. So why are you running for Justice of the Peace? I know you've been political for a long time. Um, I have in the background. Um, I've been involved in politics through a, a group called Harris County Democratic Lawyers that I'm currently vice president of and been very active for the past 10 or 15 years. I'd say what spurred my interest in this race was about 2019, December of 2019, I was asked by members of the Houston Tenants Union to represent a group of apartment residents who had been faced with um, retaliatory eviction notices after they organized and made a list of reasonable demands on management. And it wasn't this JP court I'm running for, which is precinct one um, place two. It was a different one. But I went in this courthouse and there were hundreds of people there who had taken the day off work had their papers in hand and thought, this is my day to be heard by the judge. I'm going to get a chance to be heard. No one was heard that day. Um, The people I represented were not heard. She wouldn't listen to me. She wouldn't even let me look at the lease that um, was the basis of the eviction. And we ended up appealing it to the county court at law um, level, and we were able to get some positive outcomes. But it opened my eyes to what a waste this is. We've got 16 of these courts in Harris County. It's the first stop for evictions. And there's all these Harris County personnel there. Nobody's there providing social services. And I thought, what a missed opportunity. And plus, just the whole way court was handled made me realize that it could be so much better. That's why I'm running to create a model progressive court. I guess I'm not really sure what a justice of the peace does. Can you talk about that? Sure. Big thing is evictions. It's the first stop for all landlord-tenant disputes. And that's probably at least half of what they do. And they also deal with class C misdemeanors. And those are misdemeanors for which um, there are only fines. Nobody should be going to jail. 
they have jurisdiction over truancy, but the law changed on that not long ago. And my understanding is there's very few truancy cases being brought in these courts and then civil disputes up to $20,000. You're running as an openly gay man, I assume. I am. Why is being an openly gay candidate important to you? Well, I didn't come out till late in life, um, about age 39, after um, having raised three kids. And um, they're all great kids now. And I've been out and proud since then. And uh, it's important to have representation at all levels of government by the gay community. And I look forward to being the first gay justice peace in Harris County history. And I had Steve, Steve Kirkland, who's the expert on all that and keeps track of it, uh, researched it and, and told me that it was an understanding I would be. So can you talk about the endorsements that you've received? I um, am very proud to have gotten the caucus endorsement. Also, the Greater Heights Democrats and the Area 5 Democrats, which is the oldest Democratic club in the area, and MABA, which is the Mexican-American Bar Association. Are you going for the Victory Fund endorsement? I am, and it's in process. I hope to hear that sometime later this month. I don't know if that's going to come out before early voting starts on February 14th, but I've been active in Victory Fund and a big supporter of Victory Fund and their work for a long time. Is your race decisive in the primary or will go to the general and be decided there? It is decisive in the primary. There are five people running in the Democratic primary for this seat, and no one is running on the Republican side. Is that common in the Justice of the Peace that it's mostly Democrat? It depends on the area. I think this particular precinct, which is the same boundary lines as Alan Rosen and the same boundary lines as J.P. Carter, it favors Democrats. And each of the eight places or precincts for JPs has different demographics. How have your kids responded to you running for office? Well, thank God, Caroline, my daughter, is helping me run my campaign along with my husband, Evan. I couldn't do it without her. Um, And she's experienced in progressive politics and she's been a godsend. My son is up in New York. Um, He was here this past weekend. Very supportive, though. And my daughter is also in New York, um, finishing up a master's at Columbia. And they've been supportive from afar. Where does Caroline get all of her passion for politics? Where did that come from? Well, I'd like to take credit for it, but um, her mom, uh, my ex-wife, probably comes from her as well. But believe it or not, she went to Catholic school and she went to St. Agnes and it's run by Dominican sisters. And I think they really lit her um, social justice fire in her because the Dominican sisters are known for social justice. Is there anything that you've learned while campaigning, running for office? It's a lot of work. <laughs> That's what I've learned. I, um, I've always worked on campaigns and supported other people and helped people get elected. But being in the middle of a campaign, I realize, uh, and I have much more respect for all the people that have been out there and putting themselves out there. It is a whole lot of work to run for office. What's been the hardest endorsement that you've received? Hmm, I don't know about hardest. I mean, I would have been very upset if I didn't get the caucus and I didn't take it for granted. So I really worked hard on that one. And I was very proud to get the Greater Heights Dems and MABA because it's a nonpartisan organization that really looks at um, qualifications. I was very proud of that one. Hope to get a few more. We still have more interview meetings today. I think there's some screenings tomorrow. How is your fundraising going? Is that going well? It is going well. Anybody can look up my um, finance reports, which are on file. And um, it, it takes a lot of money to run a campaign. There's a million people in this precinct. A million people. Wow. Yeah, it's one of the largest um, JP precincts. So it's, it's very large. It's bigger than congressional seats. And it takes money. But we've been fortunate to have raised what we need to do 
targeted three pieces of mail to the reliable Democrats. And we're also going to do a robust um, digital and social media campaign. And that's going well so far, but you're welcome to go to stevedubel.com. And there's a donation link if anybody wants to donate. We're speaking with Steve Dubel, who's running as a Democrat for Harris County Justice of the Peace, Precinct 1, Place 2. Steve, is there anything that you've learned that you could pass on to our listeners if they're thinking about running for office? Yes, um, do it. Um, If you have a passion for it, get out there and do it because we need more people to run for public office and we need younger people and we need the energy. Are there any role models that you can point to that have kind of steered you on the way? Yes. As far as the office I'm running for, um, Jeremy Brown was a JP about a few years back and he was probably the most progressive JP that we've had in Harris County in a while. And I really respect what he did. I want to pick up where he left off with the kind of programming and the kind of social services and just thinking outside the box and let's do something different. Let's not just keep doing the same old thing. Let's try out new things. And to the extent they work in this court, I want to then push them out to other JP courts in Harris County. Are there any state resources that you could point to that help you kind of run for office? You reached out to Equality Texas or any of the... Yes, I've reached out to all those groups. And um, I went to an event Brad in Equality Texas had not too long ago. A lot of those groups don't endorse, but they're very important. So I, I always take every chance I can to speak to their members. We're speaking with Stephen Dubel, who's running for Justice of the Peace, Precinct 1, Place 2. Stephen, anything you want to let our listeners know before we go? In addition to the eviction issues we talked about, I also want to bring some equity to sentencing because a lot of times people come into these courts with tickets that have racked up and they've got a lot of fees. And when you're living paycheck to paycheck, a big ticket with a bunch of fines on top of it can really set you back and be prohibitive. And we don't want that to cause people to lose their driver's license and lose their jobs. A JP has the power to exercise some equity and where appropriate forgive or reduce fines or make them proportionate. You know, the fine for a person who's working minimum wage shouldn't be the same as the fine for a wealthy person. Um, And you can take that all into account when you're sentencing. I also, um, I'm not going to use a gavel and I don't plan on wearing robes. I think I'm going to be a very approachable and open court. I don't want people to feel intimidated in my court. I'm there to listen, not scold. When does early voting start? February 14th, Valentine's Day. And it goes through February 25th. Primary day is on March 1st. And that's when you'll be decided. Well, with such a crowded field in my race, um, it's probably likely that we'll end up in a runoff. And I hope to be in that runoff. I'd love to win the race without a runoff. We will see. And the runoff will be in May. And I can't remember the exact date, but I think it's mid-May. And the website for your campaign is what? SteveDubel.com. D-U-B-L-E. Thank you, Steve, for coming on. And this is Queer Voices. Thanks, Brian. Part of our Queer Voices community listens on KPFT, which is a nonprofit community radio station. And as such, KPFT does not endorse or hold any standing on matters of politics. If you would like equal airtime to represent an alternative point of view, please contact us through kpft.org or our own website at queervoices.org. This is Queer Voices. From 2013, here is So Much Better by Levi Christ. Ooh, roll the tie down, let's take an afternoon try. So 
This is Deborah Moncrief Bell, and I'm talking with this fabulous Kai Shapley. Now, Kai has made history in many ways in her short years of life, only 11 years old. I think he just turned 11 in December. Is that correct? Kai was uh, very brave to testify before the Texas legislature about several bills that would affect the lives of transgender students. 
And I know for me, it was, I mean, I, it made me so mad. I wrote testimony. I tried to let everybody know what was going on because it was to me just devastating that they would treat children that way and the ignorance and the misinformation. And I know that it's terrifying to testify because I've done it. And so I can only imagine you as your young age now. How old were you the first time you testified? Like five, grown up in the Capitol. I know the Capitol like the back of my fabulous hand. <laughs> Do you have polish on today? Not today, but yeah, I had to stop wearing polish because it can be damaging to your nails. But what gave you the courage? I know your mom had already been testifying, but you said, I have a voice and I can use it. So how, how did that go? It started, I was at school. I was in first grade. It was the end of the day. So our teacher said, girls, get your backpacks. And I got up to go get my backpack. And then this one girl shouted, uh, you're not a girl. Go sit back down and wait for the boys to get their backpacks. And then a whole bunch of other kids started chanting, Kai's not a girl. He's a boy. That was like the breaking point. I knew that I had to use my voice from that point on. Your mom has talked about that when you were as young as three, that you were talking about you're a girl. And she had to go through her own journey of understanding and accepting that. and. There were some struggles. You knew you were a girl. How did it make you feel to go through that where she was with coming to understanding and terms with it? I always knew that I was a girl. I've never not known that I was a girl. I was three when I realized that my mom didn't understand who I was. So as soon as I started to learn how to speak, the first words I really ever said to my mom were, you know, I'm a girl. After that, she would spank me because she was very... Like the evangelical church? Yes, she was in the yeah. evangelical way of thinking. So she would do that over and over. So she got a counselor to help her out with that to see what was the right thing to do. The question that this counselor asked was, if you were on a deserted island with just you and your child, would you let them wear girl clothes? And she said, of course, nobody's looking. So then the counselor said, that's a lie. God is looking. So your problem's not with God. It's with what other people will think of you. So then from that point on, she realized she realized what she had to do. So that had to be a really intense educational process for her, but could do for her as a mom doing what she needed to do for her child. A lot of gender identity is associated with how we wear our hair whether we wear makeup or not, what kind of clothes we wear. What is it that, I mean, even if you were wearing any other clothes other than dresses or having your hair long, you'd still be a girl, right? Mm -hmm. Find a way to somehow makeshift my own hair and skirts. Like I used to sh get hangers and shove my tiny legs in them. And then I would get the Pirates of the Caribbean hat and use the braided hair as like my own hair. I think Eden has gone through some struggles with hair. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh. When I was a little kid, I would constantly be wearing T-shirts on my head, just pretending that was my hair. And I didn't know what that meant back then. But looking back, it's pretty obvious. And in contrast, Eden was already an adult and active in the LGBT community before she was able to accept her trans identity. So how do you feel that 
being at a young age, I mean, did you ever question it at all? Or did you feel bad? Like, oh, I can't be that because that's bad. No, because I knew that I was the person who I was made to be. And I completely accepted myself. I knew that I was supposed to be this way because that's how I was made. God made me this way and I'll forever stay this way. I take it that in this journey, because coming from this very conservative Christian background and the struggles that your family had with acceptance within that community, and then the acceptance of you as being trans. So I take it that in the, this educational process that no one feels anymore that being any part of the spectrum of LGBTQA plus what I call it the A to Z, wherever you are in that alphabet, is a bad thing or a wrong thing. People are folks and we're all at different places and we all fall on a spectrum both in gender and in sexuality. So do you feel like you're in a better place as far as how that community is viewed or our community is viewed? I don't quite understand because I have a tiny little 11-year-old brain. <laughs> so, Your tiny little 11-year-old brain is far beyond a lot of people I know who are way older and way more educated and way more life experience. So don't worry about that. You know, Kai, as someone who's known you for a number of years and spent significant time with you and your mom fighting for trans rights, I really want you to know how much of a role model you are to me. I have always known you to be 100% certain of who you are, always vocal towards those who oppose your existence. And as I navigate my own world now as a trans woman, I have people like you who have shown me the type of woman I want to be and hope to be. So I want to ask you, what does it feel like to be so young and be a role model to trans humans of all ages across the world? Well, it's a blessing because most trans people have to wait till their like parents die even sometimes. And it's terrible. And that's sometimes the reason why most teen suicides are trans teens. They don't have a supporting or loving family and they feel like they just can't be themselves. And I'm glad that I was able to have a mom who cares for me and would let me be myself. And I'm glad that I can be a role model to trans people, actually just all people in general. You certainly are a role model in, uh, on a number of levels. And you're much more than a trans girl. You're much more than just a, a kid who has gone through this experience. You've done a lot of stuff. A whole world has opened for you. Beyond being a fierce advocate, you're also an actress. Tell me a little bit about that. I'd like to say that a lot of people will make it seem like I'm a trans girl who happens to be this or that, when in reality, I'm like a girl who likes this and that and who's this and that, who just happens to be trans. But you were in the Babysitter's Club and you have won an Emmy for the Trans in America, Texas Strong. What was that like? It was amazing. It was amazing to just meet so many new friends. Just it felt amazing. Most of those people, we really keep in touch with like all of them still. Are there any projects coming up that you can talk about? I do have a book, which will be coming out in spring of 2023. 
So on my YouTube channel, I have an, uh, my own series that I'm starting called Kai and Sky Talk Politics. And then Wednesday, February 9th at 6.30 Central, Kid of the Year will premiere a video on Nickelodeon showing like some of the finalists. You were one of the finalists for Time Kid of the Year. So has that been selected yet or it's yet to be determined? I know that I managed to make it into the top 20, which is a blessing itself because it still gives me a high platform, but I did not manage to make it into the top five. Yeah, well, congratulations to you and what a group to be in because there's lots of kids out there doing lots of fabulous things. That gives those of us who have been around a while a lot of hope (laughs) to, to see what's being done. I know you love cats. And I know you love Dolly Parton. Tell me a little bit about your love for Dolly. My love for Dolly is so big that if it was an object, it would destroy Mount Everest. So is she kind of a role model for you? I mean, you... She's a role model. She's amazing. And she's really kind and gorgeous and courageous, smart and confident, beautiful. So certainly something that you aspire to because you're all those things as well. And is there any particular work of hers that you appreciate or admire? I love her music because it lightens my day. I'm pretty sure her village once burned down. That's what happened, right? And then she like helped rebuild her village and helped everybody get better. And she, she, oh, she promoted the vaccine. Yes, she promoted the vaccine, and she also is very big on literacy and providing books to children who might not otherwise have them. And I know I've heard this throughout everything I've read about you and everything I've seen about you, that kindness is kind of your catchphrase. I'm kind, loving, humble, and oh so ever fabulous. (laughs) This is true. I think Eden had another question for you. Yes. Kai, you mentioned earlier that you know the Texas Capitol like the back of your fabulous hand. You know, I would definitely agree with that because you've been so vulnerable, strong and direct with lawmakers in Austin for a number of years now. And when we are putting ourselves out there for the sake of our human rights, it can sometimes be hurtful and sad to hear the types of things that people say about us transhumans. So for those kids out there or those adults out there who are thinking about using their voice and sharing their stories, I would love to hear how you, after you do those things, how do you practice self-care to take care of yourself? Well, first of all, to all of y'all who are feeling like you want your voice to be heard, you go girl or you guy, be yourself. And what I would do every time after I'm done testifying, if it's a stressful and long day, I go home, I brush my hair, I get really mad sometimes. So when I go home, I usually throw one of my pillows at the walls, I brush my hair some more, and then I'll eat, I'll cook, I'll draw, I'll write, I'll talk to friends, I'll listen to music, anything really, just as long as you're focusing on yourself and your free time. That is great advice, Kai. I think anybody could learn from that as part of doing self-care. 
there's all kinds of things going on. We're living in very stressful times. And those are all things that you can do to kind of take you away from the dark place. And the other thing is reaching out and volunteering and helping other people. So I applaud you for all of that. I want to touch for a moment because I was watching Trans in America and the statements by the current Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, about the implication that anyone is threatened by a trans person who's using the bathroom of the gender they identify with. How, how did that make you feel? It's terrible. I mean, I should be able to use the bathroom that I feel comfortable using. I have another story that I can share about what happened to me when I was in first grade. We had three bathrooms that I could go to because they, since I was trans, they wouldn't let me go in the woman's restroom. So the first option was the guy's restroom, which obviously I said no to because I would not feel comfortable in there. The second option was a bathroom that was in front of our classroom, but it was always locked. And the other option was the nurse's office, which is all the way on the other side of the school. And it was terrible. So one day I, I had enough of it and I went into the female restroom because that's the restroom I feel comfortable with. And then the principal, my teacher, the janitors, the nurse, and the security guards rushed through the door while I was using the restroom. And they tried to yank me out. And right then and there, they took me to the office to call my mom. And when we got home, I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's really not my job to worry. It's my mom's. But I still do worry because there's still a lot of stuff that I don't have to worry about. Well, how powerful you are that you could make all those people react that way. And it, to me, it's just a total insanity that that would be the case. Now, your family actually moved so that you could be in a more affirming community. Where are you now with all of this? Well, currently I'm in Austin, Texas. It's great here. The school is nice. The school district is nice. And I'm allowed to use the restroom that I feel comfortable in. And it's amazing. I'm called by my pronouns, which are her, she, like the candy bar. And when we moved to Austin, our life just flipped. It was amazing. We got to meet so many great and amazing people. Mom grew a love for chickens, so now she's gone crazy. And they're like, <laughs> eat something chickens in our backyard. I was wondering, are you involved in sports in any way? Well, I mean, unless it's something graceful like ballet or figure skating, I know. The bills that have been proposed that would limit children to playing sports based on whether they're a girl or a boy to be on a team really was not a big concern for you personally. But do you know other trans kids where that was an issue? As you said, no, it wasn't much an issue for me, but it was still terrible. I personally don't know any trans kids, but there are a lot of trans kids who sport is their life. And it's not even really about the sports. It's just people trying to dehumanize trans kids. Segregation is wrong, period. I would like to say one of the most amazing things about getting to know you is the trans sisterhood that has formed between us and all the other girls out there like us who are fighting for our own rights. So thank you. And it's an honor to know you. Oh, and I'm sorry. I did remember one other thing. You were mentored by uh, the marvelous, fierce Monica Roberts. 
We sadly lost her way too soon, but every day I learn about people who, whose lives she touched and influenced. So do you have any uh, words about Monica that you would like to share? She was amazing. She was the best. And she was always there for me and any other trans kid who needed her. Losing her was hard on everyone. And I feel so privileged to have had known her. During the time she was with us, she, she really had an impact and will continue to because the work you do, her work lives on. We're talking with Kai Shapley. She is an activist, a star, Emmy award-winning, and we're so happy to have her today on Queer Voices. We're really glad that you were able to join us on Queer Voices. And is there anything particular that you would like to leave us with? Nothing except for the fact that I think everybody should keep being their fabulous selves. Okay, and you can reach out to Kai on social media and tell us again when the time kid of the, the Nickelodeon Kid of the Year thing will be. February 9th, 6.30 Central Time. Okay, and what is your website? Well, I have a website, kaishapley.com. And you can find out all sorts of wonderful information about Kai and her adventures. I wish her the very best. And again, thank you for being with us today on Queer Voices to talk about these important issues. I had a wonderful time. Thank you for inviting me. To you too. This is Glenn from Queer Voices. You're listening to KPFT. That means you're already participating just by listening. But how about doing more? KPFT is totally listener-funded, which means it's people like you who are making donations who support this community resource. KPFT has no corporate or government strings-attached funding, which means we're free to program responsibly but without outside influence. Will you participate in KPFT financially? This station needs everyone who listens to chip in a few dollars to keep the station going because that's the way it works. Even if you're listening over the internet on another continent, you can still contribute. Please become an active member of the listener community by making a tax-deductible contribution. Please take a minute to visit kpft.org and click on the red Donate Now button. Thank you. This is Deborah Moncrief-Bell, and we're talking today with the co-presidents of Pride Houston. That's Tasia Madison and Kendra Walker. Welcome to Queer Voices. You recently made an announcement about what is in store for Pride 2022. So tell me a little bit about what announcements have been made. We've made the date that celebration is going to take place. So it will take place Saturday, June 25th, um, 2022, um, downtown at City Hall, back in the location where it's been for the last uh, five, six years. And we are returning after a two-year break due to the pandemic. And I'll let Deja tell you about the registration and how to get tickets um, and those other announcements that we made about the grant program. Very exciting that we're bringing back the parade and the festival. If anyone wants to actually participate in the parade, they can go to pridehouston.org slash participate. Um, and you can also register at pridehouston.org slash celebration 2022. And if you want to get tickets to the festival, you can go to pridehouston.org slash tickets. So our ticket site is up. Our registration site is up. 
and we're just revved and ready to go. Now, Pride Houston has been faced with some challenges over the past several years. There were changes in leadership. There was the pandemic. We haven't had a parade. There were some efforts made to have some events. So you're really coming back after two years, having faced these big challenges for one of the premier events of the community. I mean, it's the annual thing that most of us look forward to very much. How are you addressing some of the things that have taken place and how to move forward? It has been a big undertaking, this picture, by the way. I will say it has taken a lot of concentration, a lot of hard work. One of the first things that we did was to put in an advisory board, which Pride Houston has never had in its over 40-year history. And the advisory board was made up of community members that were well-respected, that had over 20-plus years in the philanthropy space, and basically that the whole community respected to kind of be the community's oversight and watchdog and guide us through um, how we uh, restructure. We have strengthened our internal controls to be more in line with uh, 501c3 best practices. We've had to um, implement um, new guidelines for the board, rebuild the volunteer staff. Basically, it's just been head down, just concentrating on the work that needs to be done. Coming back after two years, of course, you know, finances since uh, celebration is pretty much the heart and soul of Pride Houston. Um, not having that for two years can put a strain on the organization, but uh, we put business continuity plans um, in place. Deja and I are both from kind of like, uh, I guess the corporate world. So we brought a lot of that um, knowledge to um, the philanthropy space so we could put some business continuity uh, plans in place, some um, transition plans, and some hardship plans. That's basically how we went about bringing the celebration and bringing the organization back. We're not just bringing it back, we're bringing it back with a better foundation, more stable, with better control. Each of you have been involved with Pride for a little while. Tell me about some of the things that you've been involved with. I started with Pride in 2018, signing on as a community partner with a group that I own, uh, Lesbians of Color. We did a brunch together, and then Pride Houston invited me to join the board in 2019 um, as the special events coordinator. So I've been involved on that side, basically diversifying prize events, um, uh, mainly the pool party, our fashion show, and making sure we get more community and local community and groups involved and more excited about pride. And so when we, when the pandemic went through the shutdown, I always think I was promoted to vice president and now uh, co-president. And so this is actually my last year with pride. Deja will be there for another three or four. And so Deja, I'll hand the mic over to you. I actually started with um, Pride Houston as a board member, joining the board in 2019 as outreach director. And then from outreach director, I became uh, the secretary. And after secretary, I became president. I really loved the role that I had as outreach director, being able to build some of Pride Houston's newest programs, like the Pride Houston Scholarship Fund, the Right to Human Conference, the Human Rights Conference, launching that. Um, and one of the newest initiatives that we also um, 
launched under outreach was the Pride Junior Board. So you'll start hearing and seeing more of the board, the junior board this year. Um, as you pointed out, Deborah, <laughs> um, last year was a, a long road of hard challenges that we had to overcome with the pandemic and finances and litigation and things of that nature. But um, this year, we're just happy to be back rebuilding with a stronger foundation. And how is the board structured now? Our PAC actually recommended that, um, that for the rest of this year, that um, Beja and I actually be co-presidents since we pretty much had um, more, more knowledge in the organization, and that would be a better way to get the organization back on task. So, yes, the board actually elected um, both of us to be uh, co-presidents and actually made a bylaw, a temporary bylaw change to actually facilitate that. Going forward, I, whether co-presidents is made um, permanent or not, um, that is for, you know, the upcoming board to decide. But I will say, as far as how the board is structured, um, now you have to volunteer with the board for three months before you are eligible to actually hold a board position. That actually lets the board see how you work. And that actually lets you interview the organization so we can actually see if that's a fit. We have more control over conflicts of interest and disclosure forms and things of that nature. And there's a level of separation between the board and the production team so that the people who are running the organization and actually responsible for um, the bookkeeping and keeping the finances in order and making sure that we are upholding all of the legal standards are not the same ones who are actually developing the program for the parade because you need the board is now more of a governing board and the production team works on the events and the celebration. The way that we are also now restructured is that the production team is ran by managers. So we have an events manager, a celebration manager, and a volunteer manager that will be managing all the committees that fall in those different departments. Um, and we are also adding at the board level a board committee uh, called governance. And we are also adding a board committee for staffing and recruitment. So those things will help um, make sure that we are, as we restructure our bylaws, um, we are still going to be working on our bylaws and adding more internal controls to our standard operating procedures. And as we do that, we want to have also a committee of people who are dedicated to doing that, to also ensuring that we are beholden to our bylaws and our procedures. And more qualified board members, too more um, people who are uh, skilled in the job that they're taking on. And this is all volunteers, correct? Correct. Yes, this is all volunteers. We don't have any more um, paid positions. Yeah. And how many people are currently on the board? Currently, we have four people on the board, and we have a fifth member that should be coming on soon. They are just now um, finishing up their volunteer period, and the vote on that member will be held. Soon. And then we have about four more board volunteers that are um, completing their 90-day um, trial um, to be voted on. And whether they'll be affirmative or not, just you know, that just depends. But um, we have four now and getting ready to onboard more um, as soon as they get through the trial period and we can hold a vote on it. 
This is Deborah Moncrief Bell, and I'm talking with Tasia Madison and Kendra Walker. They're co-presidents of Pride Houston, and they're telling us about all the activities that are planned for 2022. If people are interested in volunteering for Pride or getting involved on the board, how do they go about doing that? Volunteer inquiry at pridehouston.org. Uh, you can email volunteerinquiry at pridehouston.org, or you can go to pridehouston.org slash volunteer. And the pridehouston.org website has a wealth of information. Some of the jobs that are involved with the production team, as well as what the board oh, is yes. doing. Go ahead, Kendra. Our uh, board on prioryhouston.org has all the open positions, well, most of them, and we're, uh, we update it every week. Um, you can also send a inquiry to BOD at prioryhouston.org anytime you want to reach the board of directors, BOD at prioryhouston.org, to express your interest in joining the board. And basically, the process is we will send you an application um, right now. Because we have instituted an advisory board, um, the process is first you go to the advisory board. They will make sure there are no conflicts of interest, meaning you don't have any interpersonal or business connections with anybody um, currently sitting on the board. And then after that, you start um, like your 90-day volunteer um, activity that's basically where you are you know, with the board, working with the board. And then after that 90-day um, period, we actually hold a vote on that person. And then um, you proceed to be a voting member and, you know, work for the better of the organization. The Grand Marshal's nominations will have taken place by the time we're on the air with this. But the voting on the nominations will take place. So how do people vote for who they would like to select as grant marshals? So you would go to pridehouston.org, um, grand marshal, and then the, you will see all of the finalists listed. You um, are to vote for the finalists in the category um, that you you know, that you know about the, the finalists, and then that's how you cast the vote. You're only allowed to vote one time and you have to have a valid email and phone number to vote well i for one am very excited that we may actually get to have a parade and a festival in 2022 give me the dates again saturday june 25th 2022 and it will be downtown near city hall the parade and the festival you can find out more information at pridehouston.org org and we look forward to celebrating this summer thanks for being with us on yes. queer voices thank you deborah thank you this is glenn from queer voices you're listening to kpft that means you're already participating just by listening but how about doing more kpft is totally listener funded which means it's people like you who are making donations who support this community resource KPFT has no corporate or government strings attached funding, which means we're free to program responsibly, but without outside influence. Will you participate in KPFT financially? This station needs everyone who listens to chip in a few dollars to keep the station going because that's the way it works. Even if you're listening over the internet on another continent, you can still contribute. Please become an active member of the listener community by making a tax-deductible contribution. Please take a minute to visit kpft.org and click on the red Donate Now button. 
Thank you. I'm Wendy Natividad. And I'm John Dyer V. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending February 12, 2022. Polish lawmakers say they're just protecting children, but critics say the bill they passed this week will make it virtually impossible for teachers to include discussions about LGBTQ people in their classrooms. The measure gives government-appointed supervisors control over school curriculum. They would have the authority to approve or reject programs by non-governmental organizations and to fire teachers and school principals who don't fall in line. The legislation is part of the ruling far-right Law and Justice Party's ongoing campaign to Christianize Polish institutions. President Andrzej Duda is expected to sign it into law. Justyna Nikielska works for the Polish LGBTQ rights group Kampania Preci Homophobi. She told Pink News, Young people will be punished for tolerance, openness to diversity, critical thinking, and independence. LGBTQ youth will feel less and less safe in schools. A measure equality advocates are calling the Don't Say Gay bill now seems certain to become law in the U.S. state of Florida. It was approved in the state Senate Education Committee along party lines on February 8th, having already passed in the House. It would prevent teachers in Sunshine State schools from encouraging classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels. Its restrictions apply to any level if the discussion is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students. School officials would be pressured to out LGBTQ students to their parents, parents armed with the power to sue schools if any of the bill's provisions are violated. Republican Senator and Baptist Funeral Director Dennis Baxley sponsored the bill and was challenged during the hearing by Democrats like Senator Tina Polsky. Mrs. Fish, why does Johnny have two mommies? What is the teacher supposed to say? Well, again, I think you should talk. Some discussions are for with your parents. And I think when you start opening sectional, sexual type discussions with children, you're entering a very dangerous zone and, and your awareness should pop up right away. This isn't teaching. At rallies against the bill across Florida, students are speaking for themselves. I think with this bill, it's just another way for them to silence us. And we have been silent for so long. We are fighting for the opportunity to go to school and feel safe and feel protected. Governor Ron DeSantis is hinting his support for the bill in harmony with his hints about running for the Republican presidential nomination in 2024. He told a Miami press conference this week that, in some schools, children are advised, don't worry, don't pick your gender yet. Let's get parents involved. Let's make sure anything that's discussed is age appropriate. Teacher and parent of a transgender student, Anita Hatcher, begs to differ. When you reassert parental authority, sometimes you get the parental authority of my child's father who told him it would be better if he took his own life. The White House is warning that the Florida bill is no isolated action. A spokesperson delivered a statement on February 8th saying, Across the country, we're seeing Republican leaders take action to try and regulate what students can or cannot read, what they can or cannot learn, and most troubling, who they can or cannot be. Tennessee's Don't Say Gay bill has been born again after being aborted a decade ago. It's sponsored by Republican State Representative Bruce Griffey, 
who argues that state schools are not allowed to teach what he calls Christian values to his daughters. So, he says, I don't see how LGBTQ and other issues and social lifestyle should be part of the curriculum. In other U.S. state-related news, a South Dakota Senate committee killed a so-called bathroom bill this week. It would have required trans students to use gender-segregated campus facilities like restrooms and locker rooms based on their birth gender. In Virginia, a House of Delegates committee rejected a bill that would have made the State Department of Education's guidelines for supporting transgender and non-binary students not mandatory for school districts. Herstory was made in the U.S. Senate this week. Chantelle Wong's confirmation as U.S. Director of the Asian Development Bank makes her the first out lesbian and first LGBTQ person of color to serve in a federal ambassador-level position. The Asian Development Bank promotes social and economic development in the Asia-Pacific region. Wong was confirmed February 8th in a rare bipartisan Senate vote of 66 to 31. With a master's degree in public administration from Harvard University's Kennedy School of Government, Wong served as budget director at NASA and acting budget director of the U.S. Treasury Department. She was also the founding chair of the Conference on APA Leadership, a group that encourages young Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders to pursue careers in public service. Imani Rupert Gordon is the executive director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights. Her press release applauding Wong's confirmation read, When President Biden took office a year ago, he pledged to transform the executive branch by including appointments that reflected the full diversity of our great nation including people of color and members of the LGBTQ plus community. From appointing Secretary Buttigieg and Admiral Rachel Levine, the first Senate-confirmed openly gay and transgender cabinet-level appointments respectively, to today's confirmation of Ambassador Wong, it is clear that President Biden is intent on fulfilling that promise. A leading European Roman Catholic cardinal has done what Jesus would do call for a fundamental revision of church teachings on homosexuality. During an interview with the German Catholic news agency KNA, Cardinal Jean-Claude Olerich of Luxembourg confessed that he does not consider same-gender relationships sinful, saying, I believe that the sociological scientific foundation of this teaching is no longer true. Olerich testified that in his own archdiocese, no one is dismissed because they are homosexual. He also supports church employees regardless of sexuality. I can't kick them out. They would become unemployed. How can such a thing be Christian? Unfortunately, Cardinal Olerich's comments and even Pope Francis's support for greater acceptance of LGBTQ people are not likely to foster any foreseeable changes in Roman Catholic doctrine. Finally, the first bill introduced in an Indian parliamentary committee in 2022 will probably crash on takeoff. The Committee on Public Undertakings wants to get the airport code of the city of Gaia changed from G-A-Y to an alternative like Y-A-G. The committee finds the G-A-Y code inappropriate, unsuitable, offensive, and embarrassing. Gaia is where Rama, Sita, and Lakshmana go to give an offering to Dasharat in the Hindu epic Ramayana. It's a major Hindu pilgrimage site and also a holy city in Jainism and Buddhism. The World Heritage Site Mahabodhi Temple is said to be where the Buddha gained enlightenment. 
Conservative lawmakers are refueling the campaign they began a year ago to change the airport code, and they're barnstorming the federal government to find a way, according to the Economic Times. Reportedly, Air India already asked the International Air Transport Association for the change at the government's request. However, association regulations say that airport code designations are permanent unless a change is justified based on compelling air safety needs. So, as Pink News notes, at least for now, Gaia will remain unique as a holy city and pilgrimage site with the gayest airport in the world. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending February 12, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm John Dyer V. Stay healthy. And I'm Wendy Natividad. Stay safe. This has been Queer Voices, which is now a home-produced podcast and available from several podcasting sources. Check our webpage, queervoices.org, for more information. Queer Voices executive producer is Brian Lovinka. Andrew Edmondson and Jack Valensky are frequent contributors, and Summer Iman is our webmaster. Music on this podcast is partly sourced from local queer artists and coordinated through Matthew Williams, who also originates the Artist Spotlight series. The News Wrap segment is part of another podcast called This Way Out, which is produced in Los Angeles. Some of the material in this program has been edited to improve clarity and runtime. This program does not endorse any political views or animal species. Views, opinions, and endorsements are those of the participants and the organizations they represent. In case of death, please discontinue use and discard remaining products. For Queer Voices, I'm Glenn Holt. <laughs>